This is the Shoot Once Podcast. I'm Frank Walker. Hi everyone, welcome to the Shoot Once Podcast, a proud member here of the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, another week, another show, and, and we actually have hockey news to talk about tonight, which is really exciting uh, from the perspective of someone who, you know, wants to actually talk about hockey and what's going on in the world here. So, the big news we've got this week is that the Blue Jackets have re-signed El, or Jonas Corposalo, which was to be expected. I accidentally clicked the ad for the uh, season tickets there. But it was something that was, what to be, that was to be expected there. The Blue Jackets have, you know, we've got two goaltenders who are RFAs at the end of this season, Jonas and Elvis. Um, right now it seems the NHL's got a... a you know, I think there's still a moratorium on some player types of player movement, but something like this, where a guy was you're you were able to negotiate with them anyway, makes sense to get it done during this time period where you're just, you know, just kind of waiting around, not sure what's going to happen next. But the Blue Jackets knew they wanted Elvis, or I keep saying Elvis, wanted Jonas back in the fold for for another period of time here. The deal, as far as it goes here, is two years. Um, I forget exactly the AV. We'll pull it up here real quick. But it was something that was right commensurate with what we kind of thought he was going to be at. It's that mid, uh, I think it was the mid twos on him. Yeah, 2.8 for two years uh, additional. After that, he becomes a UFA. If you notice here as well in the in the Cap Friendly page for him, Elvis Mers Lincolns is also going to be an RFA this offseason. I would not be surprised to see Elvis with a somewhat similar deal two or three years. Um, for two reasons. One, it gives you flexibility that if you decide, say we go in the next season, and right now, in my personal opinion, Elvis is the one you'd go with, but, you know, if you have more time, take the time. If they choose to go with Jonas at the end of the season, at the end of next year, you say he's your number one, or say even it's Elvis, if you only have him on a two-year deal, you can always, you know, and for some reason you can't trade him, it's not going to become an albatross hanging around your neck. I mean, imagine if they signed Jonas to a seven-year deal at $4 million a year. Now, you know, if, if he was your starter, getting a starter for four, seven years at $4 million is pretty good. But you don't know that yet. I would almost expect a deal to, like that to come, honestly, not a seven-year deal, probably another three- or four-year deal at the end of whoever gets the next one. Because the Blue Jackets, their goalie depth, um, Daniil Tarasov, Mattis Kilvlinkens, uh even Ventilina a little bit, but really Mattis Kivlinkis, um I mean, the thing is they've got enough goalie depth that there isn't a concern for the future when it comes to goaltender. Even even if you sign both Elvis and Jonas to two-year deals, then in two years you lose both of them. We probably will have somebody ready, maybe two guys. So I'm not concerned about where the Blue Jacks are as far as goaltender. I think they're in a good place for that, so... It's good to see Elvis or Jonas get signed. Um, Yarmo was saying things like, you know, all oh, the best for him's yet to come, all of that, which is a nice, a nice sentiment. Um, and it, it may be true. I mean, it's just one of those things where, as a goalie gets that confidence, some goalies respond better to that. Something I want to take a quick look at. I pulled up Evolving Hockey and their advanced stats when it comes to goaltenders, and I tried to just get. I mean, for kind of a, a comparison's sake, if you're someone who doesn't watch a lot around the league, but you watch a lot of Blue Jackets, I pulled up our most recent goaltenders. So you've got Sergei Robrovsky, Jonas Corpusalo, Elvis Merz-Lincolns, 
uh, all the way back to the 15-16 season there. And, and the number I have sorted it by is this goal saved above expected. Now, I mean, the, these numbers aren't perfect because to an extent, they're going to skew based on how much playing time somebody got. So we're going to look at a few different numbers here. But what you're looking at here is this goal saved above expected. It, it's a number that is you know, based on the shot quality of what you saw, how many goals would be expected to be scored against you, and then how many were over the course of the season. By that measure, Bobrovsky had the two best seasons in 16-17, 17-18. Uh, in 15-16 had the third best season for the Jackets, and then Elvis for this year. Jonas right now, uh, as far as how this season has gone, has had the sixth best season by that metric for Blue Jackets goalies over the last few years, which isn't bad. I mean, as you can see, Sergey's had three lower years, but then Jonas has had two lower years on that too. You have the goal saved above average, which is just uh, uh, you know kind of an idea of how many shots you you say you know giving you kind of an idea of, of against an average goaltender how much you've saved. Now Jonas, on that measure, he is one of five positive seasons the Blue Jackets have had. Meaning, if you were to compare them to what an average goaltender did, how many goals did they save above that? As you can see, again, Bobrovsky's 16, 17, 17, 18 years are just dominating that because those, those were incredible years for him. Third best season there, Elvis at an 8.95, which is incredible considering how he did in that season. This this stat, the GSAA, it's a bit more of a correction for us because with that goal saved above expected, uh, you know, Bob in these seasons, he had 63 games played, 65 games played. Elvis and Jonas only had, you know, in the 30s, so... That number was going to be higher for Bobrovsky if he had any kind of real season. Um, but Jonas, this uh, this season, again, the fifth best season for a Blue Jackets goalie as opposed to that in the last few years. He had the fourth back in 15-16. But the reason you sign a two-year deal, if you look at you know the seventh, the eighth, and then the tenth ones here, that gives you a sense of these were years where his goal saved above average were lower. Now... When you're signing Jonas Corposalo, if you're getting, you know, 15, 16, 19, 20 Corposalo, that's great. That's an awesome way to go about it. I, again, I apologize, guys. I'm still learning doing this video version of the show versus a regular audio version of the show. So I'm trying to remember to keep everything visual as well as audio on this. But essentially what we're saying is Jonas Corposalo is, is showing that he can be a good average goaltender in the NHL, sometimes above average. Sometimes he can he can run streaks of being elite. Um, I don't think he's going to be a goalie like what we had in Bobrovsky, where you know Bobrovsky had two Vezinas in his years for the Blue Jackets. I don't think we're going to see that. But you're also talking about how much you want to pay a goalie. I mean, if you can get average goaltending in the NHL for under three million a year, that gives you a huge advantage when it comes to building out the rest of your team. And if that's what the Blue Jackets can do with Elvis or Jonas, or even if it if it's Jonas or Elvis, if at the end of this, you know, you sign Elvis to probably a commiserate deal to Jonas where it's going to be two years eh, between two and a half to three million dollars a year. If after that you sign them again for another three or four years at three to four, maybe go as high as five million, that would be okay. I mean, that would be fine because it gives you that room. Whereas if you're looking at the video version of it, if not, I will just tell you over the over the thing here. But the worst season that a goalie has had for the Blue Jackets, I'll just put it this way. 
since 1516, out of Jonas Corposalo, Elvis Mers Lincolns, and Sergei Borowski, the worst season right now is being had by Sergei Borowski this season. Uh, his goal saved above expected was negative 13.3, meaning based on just what an average goalie would have done in his same situation, you would have expected 13 more goals to be saved. And then against an average goaltender, he's negative 16.59. So just just incredible how much lower he is than what than the standard he set any other year he was with the Blue Jackets. So, and, and again, I know some people are going to say, oh, well, he's got a worse defense. Eh, some of these numbers like goal saved above average and goal saved above expected are kind of taking that into account, especially that goal saved above expected is kind of taking that into account with what's going on. So it, it's not real great for him in some of those situations. Now, The Athletic ran a really interesting piece this last week, and it's on this theory because the, the, the league at the end of this season, is going to have a salary cap issue. And what we mean by that, for those of you who aren't aware, the way the, the league is, is worked out in a business facet is that almost every revenue, revenue stream that comes into the league, with very few exceptions, things like expansion fee money and whatnot, almost everything else, like what you get from TV contracts, ticket sales, selling jerseys, all of that, is labeled hockey-related revenue. That number is essentially split 50-50 with players. Now, when players are paid each month, or each, uh, I think they get paid twice a month in the course of an NHL season, 15% of that pay is held back in what they call escrow. And what that means is, if at the end of the season, you know, maybe say ticket sales go down, or um, just something else happens and the league doesn't make as much money, to ensure that it's a 50-50 split between owners and players, the owners are able to then take back some of that money if they need to. Uh, in recent years, we've seen things like, you know, they hold back 15% and the owners will return 6% of that money or 7% or something like that. So it tends to not be all the 15% that the players have to lose, but it's something the players don't like. The problem this year is, as you can expect, with the league being shut down because of this pandemic, the league is losing a ton of ticketing revenue. Now, they may be able to make back some of that money if they're able to stage games for television because uh, the rest of the television deal would pay out. You'd have certain sponsorships that would then pay out. There, there's a certain amount of that money that is then reclaimed, but the NHL is not going to hit their projections on what they thought. So the players are a lot of the money that they, lost, they already paid in escrow, where some years they would get maybe even half of that back. This year, they're probably getting none of it back. There may even be something having to get worked out with the, the owners at the end of the season where the players are going to have to somehow pay back more or maybe it'll be more held back. Uh, there, There's talk about next year, them even reducing the salary cap. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, there's a few reasons. One, ev everybody knows a reduction in the cap is going to be bad for a lot of teams and just going to create a lot of issues. The other issue is, in the next couple of years, the NHL has uh, a couple of big things coming up. They've got the expansion Seattle team, They've got a new collective bargaining agreement. And then they have a new TV deal that's going to come up in the next few years. And it's all going to come in like a two-year span. I want to say it's uh, 20, 2020 to 2022. All those events are going to take place somewhere in there. And I think everybody's looking at this, and especially this pandemic going on, saying uh, maybe our whole situation is more tedious than we thought. Or uh, more, you know, not tedious, more um, uh, not as sure as we thought it might be. And so I think everybody might be a little more mood to kind of play along, make sure deals get done, make sure the money that can get made gets made. 
And so if you asked me if I had to guess what's going to happen, what the NHL will do next year is they will either have a flat cap or they may even show a little growth on paper of what the cap is and then just have a huge amount of escrow. And that's something that's going to have to be negotiated with the players. Nobody knows for sure. But this has led to some ideas like the NHL might, might open up a one-time buyout. And what that means is a team would be able to go to a player, buy out the remainder of their contract. Essentially, they would pay them either their full remaining amount or the last two-thirds of the contract, and then that player no longer counts against the cap. Now, where this is different than a regular buyout is in a regular buyout, it's something like you pay the player two-thirds of the amount of remaining money, and then the amount of money that you paid them is then split up over double the length of their contract. The reason that is useful is if you have a player who isn't really playing, isn't useful for you, it, it takes a player who might be making $5 million a year for the next three years, and now they're making, now they're counting against your cap for, what, three, three and a half, three point six six million against your cap for the next six years. So you're saving a little bit of money each year on the cap. Now on the bot back half of that, you're going to lose money, but it's an interesting idea. Now, the athletic article on this said, if you were the blue jackets, you would do Brandon Dubinsky. I think that's dumb. Uh, I, I, not, not to the person who said anything about it. I mean, I'm not saying they're dumb. It's just, I don't think it's a good decision. And, and let me show you why. So with Brandon Dubinsky going to cap friendly, will open up the remainder of his deal. He has got, Essentially, after this season, he's got one year left at $5.85 million. Now, the idea on the, these compliance buyouts would be if you, buy, if you do the buyout, nothing counts against the cap. But right now, all he counts against the cap is $5.85 million next year. So it's just one year, and you're probably going to be able to do a... You're probably going to be able to do a... Um, uh, uh, if you need to, you could probably do long-term LIR or long-term injured reserve with him, meaning you wouldn't have to... You, you could essentially set him aside so he doesn't count against the cap anyway. You'd still have to pay him, but he wouldn't count against the cap. Now, if you look at his... Uh, look at his... If you were to do a regular buyout with him, he's just counting against the cap for $1.95 million for the next two years anyway. So to use that compliance buyout to not count against anything against the cap doesn't make sense to me. If you're going to use it, what I'm thinking you do, use it against a player who the Blue Jackets have had for a long time, who some people really like, but I think he isn't nearly worth what you're paying him. And that is one Mr. Alexander Wenberg. <laughs> Alexander Wenberg still has three years left on this deal at $4.9 million. If you could eliminate that contract and have almost $5 million in extra cap room, for the next few years. That would be incredible for this team. When you're trying to re-sign RFAs, when you're going to be trying to sign... Um, it's a big one being the Pierre-Luc Dubois deal at the end of this season. That's going to be big. Uh, you're going to have Oliver Bjorkstrand the season after that. Having that extra cap room would be just incredible. Just be a, a wonderful situation for them. So that's where I would do that. Even if you don't, even if they don't offer this compliance buyout, I'm starting to become big on the idea of if you can't trade Wenberg for like a seventh round pick or something just to get him out the door, a buyout may still make a lot of sense. And again, if you're following along on the video version, you'll be seeing it there, but I'll be talking you through it as well. Going through Camp Friendly, if they do a buyout of Alexander Wenberg, uh, 
Essentially, right now, Alexander Winberg counts against the cap for $4.9 million. Now, Winberg hits a funny part of this buyout thing, where if a player's young enough, instead of having to pay him two-thirds of his deal, you only have to pay him one-third. So that saves a ton of money there. So when you look at what it does, so essentially, the Blue Jackets in the first three years of this, Alexander Wenberg, you would save $4.4 million a year on the cap for the first three years that he's on the buyout. Now, the second set of three years, so from 2013 to 2016, the 23, 24, and 25 seasons, he counts against the cap for $891,000. At that point, hopefully the cap's going up again, and that's money you're not worried about. But in my mind, I... I I would be pretty heavy on the idea of doing a buyout of an Alexander Wenberg. Just what I'm saying. But I think it's an interesting idea. Now, our uh, our sponsor today, um, who has been here with us for a while now, the folks at Manscaped.com. Uh, essentially, with Manscaped, what you're looking at, uh, great products for... Great products for, for trimming up, taking care of that hair that's not on your face. <laughs> of uh, They got some great some great deodorants and some other oils that are really useful for skin in more sensitive areas. Uh, so it's a great product. Uh, they, they've made sure they want all the people who talk about them to have used it. They sent us product. I've used it. It's really good. It's great. I enjoy it quite a bit. Um, it, it creates a... Uh, I mean, with, with the deodorants and whatnot, it, it's nice. It's a very nice experience. Uh, I'm trying to do this without getting too crazy because, again, I like people to be able to listen to this with their kids around if they want to. But it's a it's a good product. I would definitely recommend it. Uh, if you go to manscaped.com, use the promo code THPN, you get 20% off plus free shipping, so always cool there. Last thing we're going to talk about on tonight's show, there's been more and more talk about what this is going to look like when when sports happens again. And, and this week, Dr. Fauci uh, w- essentially said he kind of endorsed the idea that baseball had been throwing around about if you could test players, he said, on a weekly basis um, and kind of keep them quarantined. So they're just kind of going between the hotels and, the, and the, the fields that he thinks that would work just fine. Now, there was some pushback on that, especially from a lot of baseball players, which you can understand because, I mean, baseball season would just be starting. So to go four, five, six months every day of games and the thing is if you're quarantined to a hotel room if your family's not there that's going to be a rough set of months now some of the younger guys may not mind they may not care it may not be a big deal to them i mean i'm sure they would get annoyed by it but i mean let's be honest i mean the teams would do things like they would make sure the guys had enough food had enough you know liquor if they wanted it i mean it's not like these guys would be living destitute or anything they'd be fine but I can understand not wanting to, you know, not wanting to be away from your family that long. That would be nuts. If you're a younger dude and you're single and you don't have a family, or your family's, you know, your mom and dad that you might see three or four times a year since you're out on the road anyway, and you don't live with them, you know, maybe it's not as big a deal. But, but they were talking to different players who seemed to think it'd be a real, a real big deal for them. So, all the the Emily Kaplan video loaded up on this while I was looking at it. So the. The situation that we would be looking at here with uh, with the NHL, as far as what's been talked about, is this idea that you would go through and uh, do something similar. Essentially, have the players stay in hotel rooms. 
do games and practices and whatnot. Now, with MLB, there's been thrown around the idea that you would do all the games in Arizona. Uh, then I've seen one idea that you would have half the teams in Arizona, half the teams in Florida, uh, which that might work. The idea that seems to be hearing a lot in the NHL is they're looking at maybe four different cities. Now, where that would work is once you hit playoffs. But before you hit playoffs, I mean, if you, if your thought is you want to fit in some final games, that's going to be rough. Because then you're going to have guys traveling, which is the thing you don't want happening. Because the more you travel, the more that comes out of your control. There's more variables there. If you put these guys in certain cities, if you jump right into the playoffs and do like, even if you just do regular playoffs or if you jump into like the 24-team playoff format that's been suggested that we've looked at, then you could put these teams in four different cities, play them through their brackets, and it could work. Now, the head of the Players Association, Donald Fair, said this week, that they hadn't been talked to about specifics. That seems totally fair because the last we heard from Bill Daly, the um, the assistant commissioner in the NHL or the, the deputy commissioner or whatever his title is, they'd had nothing more than just kind of general talks with different cities about what to do. So we'll see where this goes. If I had to guess today, and, I, and I've also heard that now apparently they're really wanting it to be NHL cities these happen in, will that happen? I, it's going to be tough. Uh, Fair talks about in this article, which I directed in going into reading, that there's ethical issues about... Because in, in Florida, we saw what? The, the WWE was deemed an essential business. And he talks about there being ethical issues about if the NHL says, oh, well, in Florida we can do it. But what if in, you know, Ohio or... I mean, California and New York at this point are not going to deem the NHL essential. And they're going to say, you know, there's an issue of, oh, well, this governor says it's okay, this one doesn't, so you chose to play in a state where the governor says it's okay. Does that actually mean it's safer? Does it not? I, I can see where these questions need to be answered. I think where the NHL, and, and he talks about the, for, the you know, Fair talks about the federal governments of both countries need to be involved, all of that. I, I think where the NHL is going to try and and claim that they've done their due diligence if they can find a state that's okay with it or a province and either the president or prime minister of said country uh, you know where the state or province is in if their offices say it's fine if those groups do it because i mean here's the thing if you have uh, a tournament in florida say you have um Florida may not be a great example because of, of what's going on, because it's, it's, I'm not sure there's enough ranks, but one of the ones we've heard is New Hampshire. Well, let's throw an NHL city in. Um, let's say Ohio. If, because Ohio, we've got enough ranks, or Michigan, we'll just throw it to Michigan. They got a ton of ranks in Michigan. So in Michigan, if the governor were to sign off, Whitmer, who, that'd be, probably be tricky as it starts. And then, you know, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, and his team, they sign off. If at that point you also had Justin Trudeau out of Canada saying, yes, we're comfortable with the situation that's been presented, that's where I think the NHL could say, eh, even if we're in a, you know, even if another state might say no, at this point we have this state and then two heads of the different countries involved saying, yes, we're comfortable with that. And you'd really want to get Justin Trudeau's sign off, even if the games all happen in Canada, because you have a lot of Canadian citizens involved. It, it would be, it'd be real tricky for the NHL to try and pull this off if they were doing it in the United States and the United States government signed off on it and the Canadian government didn't. 
which, which is a possibility in my mind, because if you've been following the news, the United States federal government seems very gung-ho about getting everything opened back up again. I'm not going to make value judgments on who's right or who's wrong and how quickly or how things should get opened up. Uh, that's not what you listen to the Shoot Once podcast for. But I could see where it be the situation becomes a lot trickier if, again, you know, Donald Trump and his team say, yeah, we're good to go. And Justin Trudeau and his say, no, we're not comfortable with our people doing this. Or, I mean, if it's in, if it's in, like if Las Vegas, if the governor of Nevada says, yeah, we're good to go. But the governor of California says, no, I don't want people who are coming back to California to go to that. I, I, things get tricky. You've got to try and get everybody's buy-in. So it's going to be tricky. It's going to be weird. Um, the last week felt like things were more positive going in the direction that sports were going to happen again. Uh, in a lot of U.S. states, we're seeing um, kind of this flattening of the curve they're talking about where we've hit a point of, you know, we may be at the apex of, of hospitalizations and deaths. And th- again, this is ghoulish to talk about in these terms, but we're in kind of ghoulish and extraordinary times. But if we've hit that in places and we start going down the other side, it depends on what... You know, what we've got our epidemiologists saying, what we've got our leaders saying, what we've got the people who are in charge of trying to figure all this stuff out. If they're saying, okay, we need to start going back to work. Now, this isn't, you know, opening up stadiums and having 18,000 people start going to an arena. This is very different. This is 100 people going into a place to work where other than the players and the coaches and the trainers, most of them aren't going to have any issue with social distancing. I mean, because if you talk about people actually covering the game well the cameramen almost none of them are within six feet of each other you could have the announcers announcing off-site even if you wanted to uh they could they could almost do it from home if you wanted to air it with you know a two-minute tape delay or a two-minute delay or something um the the people covering the game wouldn't be a problem because you could just i mean obviously they'd fill up press row but you could just put them all the way down the scouts boxes to the end. You could even just sit them in the seats. I mean, it wouldn't be a, hard, a problem keeping the reporters six feet apart. That wouldn't be an issue at all. So if you're talking about people just going back to work, the players and the coaches and the trainers are where things are more tricky than all the other positions involved. But just a thought, um, you know, just, just where I think we're at on some of these things. So do want to thank you guys very much for listening and watching. If you're starting to get into that, um, Thank you very much. Again, uh, reach out to us on at ShootOnsePod on on Twitter if you have any questions or anything you want to talk about on the show. Let me know. Thank you very much for listening, and go Jackets. This has been the ShootOnsePodcast. Follow us on Twitter at ShootOnsePod.